Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Braddon. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And I'm joined, as always, by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Vols on Twitter. What are you up to, you big undefeated Tennessee Homer? <laughs> hey, buddy, what's going on? Well, I'm going to keep saying that, Shane, until it's not true anymore. How you doing over there being oh, uh, 7-0 on the season? Well, you know, it's good. It just feels like nobody's ever in your way anymore on your way to work. The lanes just kind of clear up. Haven't seen rain in eight weeks, you know, so – it's just been nice. It's almost like the Truman Show. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, but no, it's it's been great. It's been a uh, a great run for for my Tennessee Vols. You keep, you know, I, I'm not as worried, but but brother, this is a this is a game that's near and dear to my heart, and and I know we're gonna we're gonna touch on it here later, but. Uh, we got the bourbon bet shit talking already started. I love mm. it. It's online. I see you boys up there cross, cross enemy lines. So uh, when we get closer to the end of the week, we'll have the details ready. And a lot of people are curious. They keep asking, what is this bourbon bet? You know? Mm-hmm. Well, many, many years ago, obviously, if you're Tennessee, if you follow Tennessee or Kentucky at all, uh, they play for an annual award uh, or a trophy called the Beer Barrel. And that thing got took away for... I think for good reasons at the time, but, uh, you know, I think the passing back and forth this beer barrel. So whoever wins between these teams, you know, they'd mark the year, the scores. And then of course, you know, they keep this big old beer barrel there at their facilities for a year. Well, it's, it's gone away. And so we got to talking, Hey, why don't we start a bet? And, and we, we put it out there publicly that, if uh, Tennessee were to win the game, anybody that wants to go can make the bet. We'd send them Tennessee whiskey. If we lost, they'd send us Kentucky bourbon if they lost. So uh, I had a couple of folks, you know, the first year I think we had three takers. Uh, one of them fell off, so now I'm down to two near and dear. Good friends of mine now. Uh, but every year we're, we're that's what we're doing is uh, we call it the bourbon bet. So uh, I'm excited. Have you had any takers this year, Shane, or is uh, the entire Big Blue Nation scared to death to, to bet against the Vols? Not, not officially. Not officially. But I know, too, I know uh, our boys up there. There's a couple up there. I know they're, they're, they're good for it. They've already – They've already poked the bear online, so I don't know. they're awake. They know it exists. You know they're probably not as eager as they have been in years past. But uh, no, I've got two bets so far, so um, I'm hoping to have. So this is coming out Wednesday. Hopefully by the end of today, I'll have uh, some more details. But uh, yeah, we'll be closing that down here, and uh, I hopefully. Hopefully, I'll be getting me a couple more bottles of that Kentucky bourbon, man. <laughs> yeah, and we got to remind our buddy Nick Roush. He made the bet with you live at SEC Media Days. That's right. Well, yet, Nick. He probably forgot all about that. Let, let's give uh, let's give him a shout out. I, I believe he, him and his wife just had a baby. So, uh, oh, congratulations. I don't know how much free time he's got on his hands, but if he's got any, which he probably doesn't with a new baby, uh, I'm going to try to get him back on the show, Shane, just to, to remind him of that bourbon bet there yeah. leading up to this game but again no promises because he just had a his wife just had a baby so uh you know be on the lookout for that but 
Hey, we got yeah, some. You saw, you saw what I did there at Media Days. I pumped him up. He got excited. <laughs> yeah, I'll get in on that bourbon bet. I knew what we were dealing with down here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm excited for him. Congratulations. And uh, no, he has not reached out yet, but hopefully by the end of today, I'll hear something. Yeah. Well, we got some other games to get to, Shane. So let's dive right into it. One of our favorite games annually in the SEC. And of course, I'm talking. The world's largest outdoor cocktail party, yeah. Shane. We don't talk enough about the number one team in the nation. Well, let's talk about them. <laughs> well, we got to talk something a little bad real quick here, Shane. Oh. Safety, Dan Jackson, yeah. out for the season. Safety. Now, he started the opener against Oregon. He was replaced by the outstanding true freshman, Malachi Stark. So, this is not mm-hmm. going to cripple Georgia by any means, but – he did have 16 tackles on the season, an interception, and a forced fumble. So, you know, losing a guy, you, you always hate to, to see that, particularly going into this stretch run for the Georgia Bulldogs. But, man, this is where we're going to find out what Georgia's all about, Shane. I yep. Mean, early in the season, look like the best team in the, in the country. Maybe they still are. They're, you know, maybe in the middle, they kind of tailed off a little. But, really, when you say tailed off, we're just tailing off for a – Kicking everybody in the teeth and smashing them and just beating them into a bloody pulp here. Still the top-ranked team in the country. Still something to prove going into a rivalry game here against the Florida Gators. What will you be watching leading up to this game here in Jacksonville? Oh, man. There's a couple things. For for starters is, you know, this is a rivalry. And it's a game that we really want to go watch some point. And, and I think we're, we're kind of – a little bit more reserved from it like now, just 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 like CBS is, just like ESPN. <laughs> this isn't the marquee game that it has been in years past. So, you know, how far apart, how far away are we? Because when I look at the Georgia Bulldogs, you know, they short of the Missouri game, there's not been a real test for them. And uh, do they do they keep do they show the country that they are undoubtedly the the best team in the country and 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 i'm not saying that that they can steamroll the florida gators but if they do mike if they can come out and just put them away like they have the auburn you know or or oregon ducks or Mm -hmm. uh auburn university i think after that then we can kind of crown them as the one because nobody has been talking about georgia because they've just not played anybody really and i think florida is a true test to how talented georgia bulldogs really are so uh if they could come out and steamroll them and 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 just back-to-back games like this i think then we can have we could kind of put it away like tennessee's really got their hands full when they get down there to athens well we're going to get to billy napier's comments here in a a second shape but i picked these specifically I hope everybody can hear these clips because they're so low. But, you know, the questions being posed down there in Gainesville, the talent gap is massive. Your defense is historically bad. How important is this game to the fan base? So on and on and on. I mean, it just seems like such a mismatch. How yeah. does that not leak into the, the locker room there in Athens to where, you know, how seriously do they take the Florida Gators, shape? Because I think that – that's the only shot Florida's really got is, you know, obviously Anthony Richardson has to go off, but Georgia also maybe already eyeing that Tennessee game. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's a chance that happens, or are you not thinking that could happen due to the fact that this is the biggest rivalry on Georgia's schedule? Well, 
I mean, it's big for the fans, and and that's the thing. It's it's a party. It it truly is. And we I did a history lesson on this a few years back. It it is an absolute blast down there if you're a fan of Florida or Georgia, regardless of the outcome. Yeah. It, it's it's just it's just fun to be with, and that carries over into the stadium when it's a 50-50 game. That's not really home field advantage, even though it's in Florida. And Kirby doesn't like that. I think the fact of the matter is, is, is this is a game that that has a lot of history, and I think that's kind of what they're. You hear it with the media, you hear it with 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 the coaches here. They know how important that rivalry is, but there's a lot of kids in that locker room that don't. And sometimes, you know, they just see it as, oh shit, we're going against the number one team in the country. No, no, this is a this is a game. If you look at the history, that you know, there's been surprises in this matchup. There has been, you know, some games that you thought Florida was going to win, and then Georgia walks away the victory, or vice versa. So, uh, I think that's kind of what Napier is getting at here. Is like, hey, this is an important game. We're going to be fired up. We're going to be pumped up and ready to do it. Now, Kirby, he comes out and does the old damn Nick Saban. Oh, Florida's the best team ever and blah, blah, blah. So get ready for that one, uh, lulling you to sleep. But the, don't don't think that when the doors are shut, Kirby ain't yelling at his team saying, we got to go out here and beat the shit out of these guys, and this is why. <laughs> now, how about this, though, Shane? Something that has kind of plagued Georgia with uh, A.D. Mitchell out is just the, the lack of explosiveness from the offense, particularly mm-hmm. down the field. Is this Florida team a team that you think can take advantage of that? Or do you think these, you know, this is such a lopsided affair that, uh, you know, it's going to, it won't be till Tennessee, it won't be till Mississippi State, it won't be till Kentucky that, uh, you know, Georgia faces teams that, that really make Georgia pay for maybe not having the best uh, or most explosive passing attack. Yeah, I think this is a, I think this is a big week for Kirby because even regardless of the talent gap that that you and others refer to, I, I think this is a, a Georgia schedule that gets a little tougher yeah. in, in November. So I think you've got to ramp up play. You cannot. You, we saw we saw this with Ole Miss. I felt like in LSU, it, it, that that. They just came in, you know, with the same recipe and you'd come out with the same victory. And Georgia needs to mix things up. They need to get a little bit more aggressive in offense, you know, because there are some teams that you're gonna that's gonna require you to to put some points on the board. And and I I saw a little bit of that with Auburn. Um, you know, obviously they didn't have to do it long because that game got got carried away there, but I think this is another opportunity for this offense, especially to to identify some more playmakers. And and because you know, in November there's going to be some games when others are going to have to step up. It can't just be it cannot be the the tight end show. You know, we're going to have to have some receivers stretching the field. We're going to have to have uh, you know a little bit more two dimensional play so that these running lanes open up. So. Um, that's, that's, that's what it's about. And that's what, that's why I think this week is important. Not, not only are we getting a a true pulse of, of how good Georgia is, but it's, it's, it's a preview to how good they're going to be the rest of the season. A a little bit more on the, uh, injuries, uh, just, just the effect of Jalen not being out there. Obviously we know he's an exceptional 
player and, and his injury. Obviously, he had the knee right after he had the ankle. Is is the knee the issue 100% mm-hmm. at this point? And kind of uh, on that note as well, AD, I never really saw what happened to him in that game, but it, it didn't seem like it was so bad, but it obviously it's lingered a long time. AD's is a high ankle sprain, and high ankle sprains, when you talk to everybody across the NFL and across college football, it's hard to pinpoint uh, a measurement. The first thing you look for is do they need to do the repair? Do they need the tightrope and, and, and things like Arian did? His was not uh, that kind of injury, but it is lingering. It's, uh, it's a pain in the butt. So he's battling to come back and doing everything we ask. In terms of Jalen's, it's, it's the knee right now. It's MCL, but uh, degree of that, severity of that just depends on conditioning level, how fast he can get back. Uh, he's working to get back, and we're hopeful to get both of them back. Yeah, I was going to ask about Jalen, Jalen as well. Um, in terms of what aspect of his game is most missing from the from the defense, when you don't have a guy out, out there like him that seems to be a difference maker, where do you you see that um, when you watch film and, and watch your defense perform? Uh, I don't understand what you're asking. Well, what do we miss about him? Yeah, he's a really good football player. I mean, he's y'all seen the plays he's made over his time here. He's he's not. He has not been healthy since the very first play of the season. The very first play of the season against Oregon is when the ankle injury occurred. Now, he continued to play through that ankle injury. Uh, some, of that, some of that, I think, was on adrenaline, but the ankle bothered him from that point forward. And then, you know, you know when he injured the knee. And the knee's kind of bothered him since then. It's not a combination of because he feels really good about his ankle right now. It's more to do with his knee. It just so happened that right when he got back from the ankle, he got the knee. And, you know, he's a phenomenal player. I think you can look at the history there and see and how does it affect you. It You know, it affects your depth more than anything. Um, but it's not like he's a one-trick one pony. I mean, he's like a – he can really pass rush good. He can really play the run. He's disruptive. So he's not a – you know, well, it affects just our pass rush. No, he – it affects everything because he's a he's a really phenomenal player, and you'd like to have him out there. Kirby, there's uh, analytics I won't bore you with that say that basically this offense has been better with AD on the field than not. It, have you all found that, and what makes him the difference maker, even if he isn't the one that's being targeted? Well, AD is a really good wideout. You know, he has twitch, um, he has explosive quickness. Um, when you watch just across the country and you watch all these teams play, there's, you know, there's, there's dynamic receivers. I think AD's a dynamic receiver. Um, he's, he's, he's hard to cover one-on-one. I mean, I get to see him, you know, every day at practice when he's been healthy and you know that you've got a guy that can, that can go compete, do some things. He's got toughness. He's got quicks. Um, but to say it's been substantially different with him in or out, I don't know what the analytics say. And, you know, it's hard to, Hard to figure that because so much of that's based on what personnel grouping we're in, you know, what, what, how the defense is playing us. You know, are they off? Or are they soft? Or are they cover two? Are they split safety? Are they middle field closed? There's a lot of uh, things that go into that. So I know that we're a better football team with AD healthy, 100%. But we're trying to get him back as fast as we can. Kirby, getting ready to face Anthony Richardson, just how much <clears throat> have you seen from him getting ready for this game, particularly compared to last year when he was sort of thrown in the mix? No, he's grown a lot, and, and he's gotten considerably better to me during this season. Like like from the start of the season, game one, you watch every game in sequence and you say, man, this guy is growing and getting better, and they don't just limit things for him. Like they, they put a lot of shift motion. They put a lot of things on top of him to handle, and he manages those well. The The toughest thing dealing with Anthony Richardson is, is, is how you affect him because uh, you got to be careful 
You know, the, the, some of the some of the runs he's had have been better than than backs have across the the country. And he's had sixty and seventy yard runs, and uh, he can take off at any point in time. And, and you don't know who's going to have him or who can get him down. Uh, he's got elite arm talent in terms of strength. Um, they clean things up for him on a lot of reads, and uh, he does a really nice job. So uh, I give them a lot of credit, Billy a lot of credit for the development, what he's done from the start of the season uh, to now uh, and being successful both with his legs and his arm. Now flip it over to the other side, Shade, Florida. Certainly Billy Napier and company, I, you got to think he's – under no pressure. I mean, the guy's in year one here, and it's it's not like his team's looked horrible by any means. The defense, maybe you could say, is, <laughs> has looked horrible at times, and, and going up against the number one team in the country is certainly not going to help that. But do you think he needs to prove something here to the fan base and just his – you know, just – just everybody out there in the SEC that, uh, hey, Florida, I don't care what they're saying about Kirby and company and all the talent and the number one rankings and all these future NFL stars they got littered all over their roster. We are not going to back down. We are going to fight them. And, you know, it may take a heroic performance by Anthony Richardson. It's probably going to take some some trick plays or, you know, yeah. some fake punts, some onside kicks, you know, they're going to have to come up with something to keep us a competitive game. Does Florida and Billy Napier go into this game needing to prove something, or do you, do you think even a loss, you know, everyone's expecting it, and then they can maybe get that momentum with games like South Carolina, Florida State, uh, Texas A&M even on the road? Do you think they could still pick up good momentum even if they lose this game, Is, is I guess is what I'm asking you. Yeah, and, and and again, I hate I hate the word. It's like, uh, you know, you're not looking for what is it called? The shit we say it sometimes. Moral victory. I, yeah, I, you know, I say I don't even like saying the word, but <laughs> you know, I you don't want to you don't want to lose by more than two touchdowns, right? By 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 your uh, your rivalry. I mean, when Billy took this job. You know, they sat in that office and they probably said, "Hey, by year two or three, we need to start winning this game again." Mm-hmm. And um, I, but I don't think year one there was that type of expectations. And uh, you know, because let's face it, Georgia is is a is a tough tough program. And mm-hmm. but when you look at the Florida Gators, I think, like you said, that lack of pressure there there was pressure last week. Everybody expected them to win at the LSU if you were mm-hmm. down there in that camp. And LSU camp thought they were expected to win. This one, it's not that way. It's kind of like the the Tennessee game, and and I felt like when that was those expectations were lifted. Sometimes that's the best football that Anthony Richardson played. When you we, nobody expected him to beat Utah, nobody expected him to beat Tennessee. Well, lo and behold, those are the two best games Anthony Richardson had this season. So right. I, I think there's something to say about that, and, and you know, and I'm not putting Georgia on a on a you know a upset alert or anything like that but but i mean there is you know it's it's a small season so far and that's what we've seen so far so uh if they can put together a couple of of outstanding drives or some you know just get some damn playmakers then who knows florida may make a game out of this after all Mm. Shit, I got to stop drinking so early. And i had two before i came on here we went dinner and i was like she's like i was like i drank me a couple of them uh Shit, what they call Modelo's. Uh-huh. Never had them. Oh, oh yeah. man. So we went to our Mexican restaurant over there at uh, El Chiritos. Not mm-hmm. a sponsor of the show, but they should be because it's 
fantastic if you're ever in Morristown. And I had a couple of them, and I was like, I shouldn't, you know, because we're going to have one at the at the pod. You know, it's getting kind of late and stuff, but sorry. I'm a little I'm a little, little tipsy here. I didn't drive home. Let's just say that. That Modell was hitting right with that chips and salsa. Uh. Is it shocking where it's at? I know we've, we've hammered the defense a little bit, but is it shocking where it's at? It's historically got a chance to be historically bad right. here. Given that there seems to be some talent, you know, I mean, it's not like this is devoid of talent. There's some NFL guys on that side of the ball. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, statistically, um, you know, there are a lot of areas where we need to, you know, improve. I mean, I don't know what it, what you want me to answer to that, but, uh, you know, we're right in the middle of it. You know, I mean, there's nobody that's uh, ignoring the problem. Um, you know, I think our, we got a group of people that really care about doing their job better, and that's what they're going to try to do. This one being, as you said, number one team, top ranked. I mean, this team's hauling in, you know, five stars, five, six a year. Right. Uh, the talent's immense. Do you, do you kind yeah. of see the gap at that point? It's like, okay, this is where we got to get to. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think we all understand that, right? I mean, I think there's – there's work to be done in a lot of different areas, you know, when you're trying to put together a football team. But personnel's part of that, right? I think we all understand the value of acquiring really good players, right? So, and then having a culture and a development plan once they do arrive, right? There's lots of things that contribute to this game. So, there's no question the evaluation and the recruitment process is pretty well documented. Um, not only Georgia, but a lot of teams, right, have done a really good job in, in those areas. So, and it pays off. We understand. We all understand that. Number one team in the country again. You know, as was before mentioned, a rivalry game. How much do you present this as opportunity, and do you think that can maybe spill over from a motivational standpoint? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't think anybody that's walking the halls in this building, most everybody understands the things that come with this game. Um, you know. I grew up in the state of Georgia, grew up watching this game. Our players are well aware, right? We've got a, a good percentage, you know, that have played in this game, and we got a, a, another percentage that grew up watching the game, right? So we all understand the history and tradition behind this game. That's a perfect time, Shane, to transition to your Vols here. They're wearing the black uniforms as a blackout for the Kentucky yeah. game coming to town. You know, this is going to be a big, big matchup. Tennessee also, you don't want to put Georgia on upset alert. I don't know. I'm, I, maybe that's the first question I should ask yeah. you. Are you putting Tennessee on upset alert? Kentucky fighting for their lives. Hated rival. You know, they they think they're on the same level as Tennessee. And, and in recent yeah. years, they've kind of proven they are different. Maybe a different story this year. Are you putting them Vols on upset alert, Shane? <sighs> I am. I am. I truly am. This is a – Kentucky hates Tennessee. They absolutely hate them in every sport that, to to their core. And we hate Kentucky. But sometimes when you have this success that we've had and we've beat Alabama and we've, you know, we've beat so many top 25 teams. I, I saw it online. Somebody says, you know, I should – why do I – why am I – this is the least worried I've felt about a top 25 team or something like that, and I'm just paraphrasing. But, mm -hmm. you know, the, I, I think sometimes 
you can get you can overlook every we know that the SEC championship is going to come down to these next two games, Kentucky and Georgia. But majority of the Tennessee fans does does not think that Kentucky is part of that mixture. It's just a, a simple victory. Mm-hmm. But what concerns me is I think that this is the most healthy, well balanced, best that Kentucky has played this entire season. If you think about starting out with uh, with Rodriguez, you know, but mm-hmm. not not in there. Uh, Will Rogers banged up during the Ole Miss game. You know, I, I just I feel like they finally got all their toys back, and this is the most dangerous that Kentucky. And there is no pressure on the Wildcats to come down here in Knoxville and just make a mess. And 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 that's that's what concerns me because there will be nothing held back during this game. It will be physical. It'll be loud. It'll be exciting. Uh, but Kentucky is coming down here to, to mess up the party. That's exact. I mean, this is a, you talk about an arrow or a, a, a target on your back. Mm-hmm. They, Tennessee volunteers got it right now. And that's got, that should always scare you in a rivalry game. Right. And Kentucky, they've been, they've won on the road, Shane. They've won at a hostile swamp when that place was rocking, when Florida was undefeated, when they, I think they were top 15 in the country. You know, they, they have experienced that now. Maybe Neyland Stadium a little bit more hostile than than the Swamp. I don't know. I, I'm sure I'm upsetting people just by suggesting that. But, you know, <laughs> quite a toss-up there. But how about for Tennessee's sake, Shane? I mean, at some point, do you expect all the hype, all the excitement around this season? Do, do they ever get caught up in it? Or, again, looking ahead to Georgia, perhaps. I, Steven, I couldn't. Almost fell out of my chair, Shane, when Stephen yeah. wanted to. He said, "Hey, can we talk about the November fifth games?" And I was like, "What?" He's <laughs> overlooking these games. I mean, even a, a reserve guy like Stephen Lassen, no, it wants to no. talk about it. I mean, any, a, any chance Tennessee's caught looking ahead? I, I think there's a chance. But one thing that I really like about what this team and staff has done uh-huh. is they find little quirky ways to get the fan base pumped up, even over over trivial games, games that shouldn't be even close. You know, I, I think about the LSU. We brought, we break out the gray uniforms. That may not seem like a lot to you, but it pumped up a lot of fans and it got these players excited, you know, trying on some new uniforms. And then you, you see it here with Kentucky, you know, this isn't just another game. We're, we're doing a, we're all wearing black uniforms. You know, right. that's something that's not been done since, I think South Carolina, and that was a hell of a game. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You remember that one? Hard to see had that damn run. Jeez. Oh, but, no, no, no. I was it, thinking, it, I think it was last year, Shane, when they were, it was 28-0 in the first quarter. They were wearing black. Oh, were we? I'm pretty sure. Wait, which which one was this? Last was season. South Carolina? Yeah, when, when Be- with the famous Beamer cheering on the sidelines. The score was like 38-7. to <laughs> Damn, did we? I, how did I, I? All I think about is that Hardesty run. Uh-huh. That's when I think of of, of Tennessee with the yeah. With that the was Blake Jersey. Lane Kiffin so, was the coach. Hell, I don't know. I, I've I've drank since then, Mike. But <laughs> I, I, I'm not good on, on the spot picking out years and stuff. But I, I will say this again. Back to your question. You know, little things like that pumps up your locker room and gets you excited. These kids are pumped up. Yeah. There's been leaked photos of the helmets all week long, you know? So that, that again, you're not going to get a, a team that's going to come out unprepared or it's just, 
I don't know. I don't know if it's in their DNA. There hasn't been that letdown. I felt like the closest thing to a letdown was the the Pittsburgh game Mm -hmm. and the fact that it got so damn close and it went to overtime. I think it was the wake-up call they needed to to realize that you can't come into these games unprepared. You come unprepared, you're going to get smacked in the mouth. So um, I I think that's just little things like that is what's helped University of Tennessee this year. Coach, you, you got a team full of guys that have never been in this position before. All the hype, you know, the outside noise, as you like to call it. Have you been surprised at their ability to, to stay focused, to kind of have blinders on? Up until this point, absolutely. Um, we're still in the beginning stages of, of, uh, of this journey, really the halfway point. And, um, you know, for us, the, the preparation, uh, being real with each other, um, competing every day is going to be critical. Um, it's critical today, this morning critical tomorrow when we get back out on the grass. Um, so far, these guys have handled it the right way. There's still things that you know we pointed out today, not just on the field performance, but in our preparation that can be better. And um, you know, accountability to one another in this program is going to be important as we, uh, we keep going. In that same tone, do you, do you think that because your leaders, most of your leaders on this team are kind of steady Eddie, even keel, never too high, never too low, that allows them to kind of keep that same focus and not ride the wave of stuff. And then can you talk about Chris Rodriguez and what he does well? Well, I just think, you know, the, the leadership from our football team, um, you know, and, and the guys that we have that have grown, you know, since we've gotten here over the, the last 20 months, um, you know, their ability to, to put in work, see that work pays off, the ability to reset is uh, an area of, you know, when we got here, an area that we had to grow in, one that we have grown in. Um, the leadership, you guys have heard me say this a, a bunch, just that the leadership within your locker room is really, really important. And for those guys to, to grab a hold, not be satisfied with, with where we are, what we've done, but in, in sports, it's all about your next performance. That determines you know, who you are and what you're about. And, and um, you know, we're excited for this one on Saturday. How much confidence do you think uh, the offensive line has gotten out of your all's ability to pick up those third and ones and fourth and twos and that type that, you know, when you all went to that bunch set and kind of, you know, play behind your pads and, and be able to get downhill and make some plays? It feels like you all have had so much success with that this year. Yeah, we, we uh, have been successful. You don't ever take that for granted here as we continue uh, on the back half of the season. Uh, but I, I, it's a sense of pride for those guys. They want to be able to run the football, obviously. Um, you know, a majority of the time, that's what you end up doing in those situations. And you got to create movement and, and win um, on single blocks, but double teams too. And uh, those guys have been really good in, in that situation here. Josh, what's Kentucky do defensively that can create some problems for your offense? Yeah, they're really good. Uh, top 15 uh, defense, top 10 scoring, I think. Uh, you know, they uh, <clears throat> multiple in their fronts, multiple in their coverages. Um, for all those reasons, uh, you got to have great communication in uh, your pass protection in your run game. And, uh, you know, as a quarterback, you got to do a great job of seeing rotations. Um, we got to do a great job of, of winning up front and then go on the outside and, and win some one-on-ones too. And, and uh, you know, it'll be important throughout the course of the game. Now, how about the flip side, Shane? Because this is, uh, you know, we, we've talked about it where, you know, Josh Heupel needed to keep Florida and Billy Napier in year one. He, they had to, sw- you know, swing that one. That, yeah. that was very important. Now, obviously, Josh Heupel's program beat, Mark Stoops in Kentucky last season. 
That's a bad look for Kentucky, particularly in Lexington. Now, if Tennessee and Josh Heupel does the same thing and scores a bunch of points and they're 2-0 against, you know, the best Kentucky team Mark Stoops has ever assembled potentially when we're talking overall roster, I mean, that's then, you know, it's just going to be the narrative all over again. Like Kentucky is, mm-hmm. is in the basement and that's, that's where they're going to stay because Tennessee's back and yada, yada, yada. You're going to hear all that. And if you look, yeah. all, you look all over Kentucky's roster, Shane, it's loaded. They have done a really good job the past three cycles of reaching into the state of Tennessee and grabbing players. And, you know, there's, there's many to pick from, but one that really stands out to me right now, Shane, is Barry and Brown, the true freshman. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's one of the most explosive players, not only in the SEC, but but explosive true freshmen in the country. They expect to continue to be able to recruit Tennessee, and, and particularly yeah. Middle Tennessee. But if they're out here losing to Tennessee every year, I don't know how realistic that is. So I think this game obviously means a ton to the to Big Blue Nation, but I think it means a ton to a lot of these players that are from the state of Tennessee that, that maybe got overlooked or maybe – I don't, you know, I don't know why they ended up. Maybe they just like Kentucky better. I don't know. But to those players, this game's going to mean a hell of a lot. And I, I think Mark Stoops and company has just has so much on the line where they need to prove that they are Tennessee's equal in this matchup. And I, I think that means that uh, we're we're going to be in for a dogfight here on Saturday night. I think it's going to be a hell of a game, brother. I really do. And and I I, I keep thinking in my mind how I, how I imagine this thing playing out. And, you know, if I'm Coach Stoops, I, I want to come out and give Tennessee a heavy dose of Rodriguez. I, I think that's what you got to do. You got to keep the chains moving. You got to keep the ball out of Hooker's hands and and slow this game down a little bit. Um, that, so that's what I – but they, they've got the formula for that. But I, I really think this game is going to come down to the offensive line. If, if Kentucky – can keep Will Levis vertical if if he you know that in which they've really struggled at this season, Mike. Yeah. Tennessee, if you know, one of the things they don't talk enough about is is the constant, unrelentless pressure that they love to send. They love to gamble on both sides of the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, Banks is going to have these guys pinning their ears back, and they see the same tape we've watched. You know, this is a quarterback that that Tennessee really could get back there and and and, and hurt. So yeah. How do, how do they answer, and, and are they able to keep, like I said, Will Levis uh, off the field? Or, you know, that's that's the key for me. It's just keeping him clean. And if they can do that and establish a run, man, and, and this defense tighten up and get some three and outs, that's what's scary is we've been so good at, at move, getting that first first down, they say. You know, Tennessee always says the hardest part is getting that first first down. But once you get the ball going, then, then everything's – but. If, if Kentucky can force some three and outs, then, you know, and then they hold on the ball for four or five minutes, that's the recipe for beating Tennessee Vols. So, mm-hmm. to, to think that that it can't happen, you're crazy. This is a this team can do it, man. They've got talent. And that's what – that's why even – it's like I know I'm confident that the Vols – I'm, I'm going to go ahead – everybody knows my damn pick. There's no, <laughs> no acting like I got to hide it for a few more days. You know, I'm confident the Vols are going to win – 
But then there's there's that little devil on my shoulder saying, you know, but how confident do you want to, you know, I don't want to bet everybody bourbon, you know, because <laughs> it's it's an expensive little hobby, you know, because it's it's one thing for you, one person, one individual in Kentucky to send me a bottle of bourbon, but if I lose and I send eight bottles of whiskey, that's a that's a little dent in my wallet. So I, I'm still a little reserved, pun intended, on this thing, you know. <laughs> DeAndre told us that Ole Miss and Tennessee, the the tempo doesn't really even compare. Tennessee's that much faster. What does that Ole Miss game give your defense, though, at least some preparation? Well, it it definitely gave us some prep, and we had to work on some of that, even in camp, and just getting um, our feet up underneath us and try to work at that tempo because it's it's almost impossible for your scout team uh, to to simulate anything. (laughs) as fast as they do or execute like they do. So um, we did uh, last week, and we'll continue to do it some this week, with good against good with our offense, giving us some uh, some some fastball and just get our cleats in the ground, execute calls, the urgency of communicating and getting lined up and just playing, playing ball. Um, you know, we got to continue to work different ways to try to simulate that kind of speed. Mark, a lot is made about Tennessee's wide receivers, how wide they line up so close to the boundary. What kind of what kind of problems does that present for a secondary? It does. It it kind of forces your hands, whether you're in a split safety look or a one high look, so they know uh, whether you're in two, you know, two safeties or one. Um, and it also creates a lot of space for them, uh, which is obviously what they like and uh, gives them big windows. Uh, with some receivers that could really run in a quarterback that's playing uh, at the level he is and how accurate he is, it gives him a lot of space. You can't play too much off of emotion, but do you see guys get up a little more when it is the number three team in the country and kind of an SEC rivalry? You, you, you better. Um, I think it's human nature when you're playing a team that that's playing this well, you better play at a high clip or – uh, you'll get embarrassed, you know, and uh, and they they could play um, very very fast. They're they're scoring points on everybody, and uh, you know it's uh, you know you're playing the number one offense in in the country. You better you better be locked in and uh, be ready to play at a high level. What is it about Tennessee's wide receiver core that causes so much uh, chaos in secondaries? Obviously they. Had some explosive plays last time they came here. Um, obviously, they did it against Alabama, UT Martin. What is it that they do that, that puts so much stress on secondaries? Yeah, they have 21 plays of 40 yards or more this year. <laughs> so that's pretty explosive. Um, they uh, And they have 49 plays of 20 or more. So they, they're they very good. They're, I think they the scheme, obviously, they have a very good scheme that, that's unique to them. And, and uh, with, this, with the splits that they have in the space, um, and they're doing a really nice job of uh, subtle change-ups off their routes, you know. So you might be anticipating one thing, but with the space that they have, they, um, you know, are creating some 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 deep shots in uh, the way uh, Hendren is is throwing the deep ball. Uh, very efficient. You know, he's very very accurate on the deep pass. The podcast is brought to you by Fubo TV. Fubo TV gives you complete coverage of college and pro football 
with NFL Red Zone also included, plus games in 4K at no extra charge. If you want to be like me and get rid of cable, Fubo TV could be your solution. Over hundreds of channels of live sports and entertainment for only a fraction of the cost of cable. Watch on all your devices with a cloud-based DVR, up to a thousand hours of cloud-based DVR included in this. There's no contract, no commitment. You can cancel at any time. And right now, Fubo TV is giving you free Fubo for seven days and get a 15% off your first month if you go to FuboTV.com slash SEC. That's F-U-B-O-T-V.com slash SEC. You can try it for free for seven days and get 15% off your first month. Well, speaking of a fan base that is uh, hesitant, to say the least, Shay, let's kick it on down to College Station where, man, no need to, you know, keep kicking Jimbo while he's down. We've done that enough. But adding to this layer of of just a horrible, horrible season, Shay, three offensive linemen out for the season, starting center, Bryce Foster, starting guard, Ika Agabinin, sure I butchered that. He's out for the year. Backup offensive lineman, Jordan Moku, he's out for the year. And then we got suspended players, Shane, five-star defensive Mm. back, Denver Harris, five-star receiver, Chris Marshall, and offensive lineman, P.J. Williams, all suspended. I mean, we're in real, real, real danger, Shane, of – Hell, the wheels may have already fallen off, but if they, but if they ain't home game against Ole Miss, this is a dangerous, dangerous spot for Texas A&M, and we may not have even gotten to the most ugly result of the season. If don't you think? I'm telling you, you think the wheels are off in South Carolina? I mean that that was this this program just finds ways to hit low lows lows you know what i'm saying it's like yeah i i you keep saying well i can't get worse than app state and then it's you know four losses later we're like golly and now you got half your team out through injuries or getting high so they did did they prove that it was marijuana is that what it was for i just heard incident in the locker room is what is officially being reported by legitimate sources but they're not they're not saying what that means i want to ask you mike is do you think this is uh you think this is culture? Uh you know, I I I know that gets thrown around a lot, um, but it really feels like there is no control of this locker room. We saw the videos coming out earlier this season with the driving fast in the parking garage. Now we got players getting kicked off right. after a game for, you know I've heard drug use. I don't know if I don't know if that's the case, but it, it just seems like man, there's there is kind of a, a, a little bit of lost control here. Do you feel that? Well, again, we got to credit our buddy, Stephen Lassen, Shane. He came on here a couple of weeks ago and said, I can't believe so many people overlook what happened at Florida state. And that's exactly what happened at Florida state under Jimbo. Not only did the team go under, they couldn't find quarterbacks, offensive line struggled year in year out, but the culture was a disaster and yeah. they're, multiple coaches removed and they're just now fixing the culture. Now it's happening again. 
And yeah, I think you're hundred percent right. I mean, that this is not the only thing, Shane. I mean, I hear it's a divided locker room down there. We've seen time and time again. Uh, I don't know why in the hell they do this. They got to stop doing this, Shane. But they they are traveling to away games on Thursdays. So they're mm-hmm. they're in town Thursday. They're in town all day Friday, and then of course the game on Saturday. And you've seen incidents of of alleged incidents of, of players having women into the hotel. I've seen mm-hmm. others like basically putting it out on social media. Here's our hotel. You know, they're trying to get more ladies to come. <laughs> and again, like I'm not saying that's Jimbo's fault, but right. what are they supposed to do for, for 24 hours in a hotel? Yeah. I mean, this is, this is why you don't have a team come out here days early, but yeah, this is a culture issue. This is, and, and it, they're in such a weird place because Jimbo's out here saying, well, it's hard with this many young players, but at the same time, this is not going to be a youth movement. What about the older players? Like this feels yeah. like two different teams going head to head and the freshmen keep making all these, making it more difficult on the team. And then the, the more senior players are not getting the job done. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is like a complete disaster, I would think for Jimbo and company. Yeah. I just, I, I don't, I don't know where they go from here. And, and I, again, I didn't think about the Florida state, but you make some, I mean, look at Jameis Winston for crying right. out loud. I mean, uh, I, I don't know where they go. I don't know what they do here. And, uh, but there has to be some resolve, man. There has to be maybe some sort of tightening up and, and, and camp like. I remember they used to have rules, you know, and I don't know if they're doing it now, but when you get these kids in the room at curfew, then they'd go around, they put that damn tape on their door <laughs> and have a hall monitor and keep it. I mean, if, if that's what you got to do. Right. But. And then, and, and then you want to blame them as a fan. You're like, I can't believe they're messing up and blah, blah, blah. But. Put yourself in their shoes. What were you doing at 19, 20 years old? And and, and on top of that, have four I didn't have four or five hundred thousand dollars in right, my right. account from NIL deals. I'm not saying that's how much they have, but they have a shit they have a lot more money than I did going to college. And mm-hmm. and so I, I just I can't imagine it and 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 you know, you but you gotta there's gotta be uh, there's gotta be an answer because other schools are doing it. You know, you're not hearing um, Alabama, you're not hearing this from Georgia. You know, don't they're, they're they're not hearing this at other schools. Just Texas A&M. I mean, we're on the verge of a thirty for thirty on ESPN talking about the greatest class that never was. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, who knows how many how, these guys are going to stay there? I mean, I've even yeah. heard that from uh, I've heard Billy Lucci say it that you know there's a, there's a real chance some of these players hit the portal if things continue to trend the way they are. They are trending, and hell, Jimbo's being asked about it. When he's being asked about it in these press conferences, you know they're not asking that out of just pure coincidence. You know they're yeah. they're asking because because they're, they're hearing the same things everybody else is hearing and, and more in depth. So yeah, this is a real real issue they got on their hands, and man, it's a it's a messy situation. And and the sad part, Shane, I don't think that there's anything they can do to fix it this season. I mean, this they got yeah. they just got blow it up during the offseason. They have got to find them a quarterback. Maybe it's Connor Wigman, but here Jimbo's saying it ain't going to be a youth movement. I don't know how much confidence I got that that they're going to yeah. put Wigman out there to see what he's got. Um, but yeah, that they yeah. they have got to fix this. He comes out and he starts talking recruiting, and he's like, you know. Maybe kids don't want to go to school that's winning all the time. It's like, is this <laughs> oh is this your recruiting pitch right now? 
you know, come to Texas A&M so you could play sooner because we ain't winning games down here. <laughs> I mean, golly. Terrible. Jimbo, how much harder or how much more difficult does it make it for this offense to execute when you've got young players like you do? I mean, just – Well, any offense. Wise. I don't care if I'm experienced. There's nothing that, that substitutes for experience. And like you say, four on, five off up front or route of here and inches, those inches matter. And then when you're playing good teams, and you got to – I always say that you fight for the inches. The inches make the difference. And that's the detail – and the, and, the, and the precision in which you do something with it, from the hand to a foot to everything. And we just, and it matters. And you got to keep getting them looks and things that they understand totally. And, but at the end of the day, that's, that's the guys you have, and they're very good players. So we have to just keep, we can get them there. Second row to the right, Olin, and then Travis. Jimbo, um, what do you have to do to make sure your guys stay invested in this season? Uh, you know, you see in college football, a lot of I saw like an SMU for a bunch of players decided just to redshirt. Yeah, I had heard about that. I didn't know, but I don't I don't see that out of our guys, and I see our guys the way they practice and, and educate them again. Stay communicative with them, keep a relationship with them, and educate them what they're doing. And like I say, you're playing everything you do. You're putting on film. There's a resume there. You're building, and and today's time that matters. That's the I and win. Your individual responsibility to be the best you can be. So I so. Our team can win, and I can have a future. And that's, that's what you tell them on. And I don't, I don't see guys wanting to bail. I don't see guys wanting to do that. And guys, are, again, continue to practice hard and play hard. And we, you know, that, luckily, knock on wood, hasn't been an issue with us. Do you think you're going to have to re-recruit guys on your team to uh, keep them out of transfer portal and things like that? I think that? you have to do that. Every, I don't care if you win 11 games, you win zero games. That's the nature of the beast right now in today's football. That's, that's the inclination of – of anything. If a guy didn't play enough or a guy didn't get there, I mean, that's, you saw guys, I mean, last year you've seen guys right now transfer that have had great success places, had great teams, done things. I mean, that's going to be new normal for everything. Hey, Coach, uh, with Connor at quarterback, and I guess just generally speaking across the board, how do you balance uh, for the rest of the year trying to win the rest of these games with the best units you can on the field and also trying to potentially see what you have for years to come with some of these guys. Well, no, you you, you, got, you got to play for the moment. Because I'm going to say, you say you play for the future, but what do you tell that senior? What do you tell that junior is going out? I mean, they, they want to win now, and you do. that. You, you make decisions based on the now, and you play your guys. If they're good enough to play and they can play in the future and you feel they're good enough to play now, you play them. And we play a lot, we'll play a lot of guys, which we have. But we got you know we got to do what we have to do each week to, to play the best, put the best team on the field and compete. Coach, how do you, would you think you would evaluate the – job that y'all have done as a staff coaching this football team this year? Well, obviously not what we need to be doing. I mean, we haven't reached a standard in which we want to reach, and which is be not to lose any games. We have to coach better and do do a better job putting our guys in position and get them to understand, and from education to techniques to doing the things we do. And, again, we're not happy where we're at in any way, shape, or form. Is there anything that you can think of that, looking back, that you wish you had done differently? No, I mean, just you got to get guys across the board. And, and there's a system. And listen, you look at things you do in camp, you evaluate, you change every year things you do, what you do based off your teams. And, and you know, you got to get education. And staying healthy was one. I mean, if you keep the same guys and keep continuity and some of that stuff. But as far as coaching, and then there's always hindsight. You go back and say, well, just a little bit here or there. But as far as what we do schematically, what we do, we're there, we just got to get them to understand it and do a better job explaining it to them. Like I say, you don't, you don't, Guy doesn't explain something. You got to re-explain it. You got to coach it. You got to put him in position. You got to get him to walk through it. You got to get him to do it, and then get confidence in it and believe in it. And that's what coaching is. Coach will go to the left it's side. Education. Fourth row. Hey, coach. 
Uh, with four losses so far, it's been pretty disappointing. What's mm -hmm. your message to recruits about the future of the program? Look at what we're doing and the guys that happened. And you know, also, you know, you look at that in the back, they see opportunities. Everybody says, well, I go somewhere that's winning all the time. I may not play for a while. You know what I'm saying? But, no, we've got good young players. Look at the young players' team. Look at the young talent we have. Look at the guys making a lot of the plays, and they see it. We've got, we got a good nucleus of what we're doing and that we're only a playoff on, on those games. And you sell that and you see it and be truthful about it. There's no – and recruiting, the key to recruiting, there's no pitch. When you're a good recruiter, you tell the truth. Recruiting is about one thing, truth and relationships. You can draw it up a hundred ways, but silly. All – there is no pitch. There is no magical formula. There is no pixie dust. You build a relationship through truth and trust and be honest with them about where you see them and what they do, and, and you don't base everything off one year either. You don't basically base things off history, what people have done, where they've been, what's happened, schools have happened, players, and see, and see the future of what a program is. But it's based off truth and trust, not a – it's what you tell them. Well, how about at the other side, Shane? Ole Miss just suffered their first loss. Yeah. And another great point by Stephen on the last episode. Go back and, and check it out if you missed it. But this is the – Eight games in a row, eight consecutive games, only team in the SEC with that many games in a row. I didn't want to stop him when he made that point, Shay, but I was like, well, they got the first month off, basically, it was because it was because of who they played. So maybe not quite as daunting, but these players are tired. They need yeah. a break. Zach Evans banged up. We don't know if he's going to play. And, and kind of the way I look at it, Shane, if he misses this game, then he'll have three weeks to prepare for Alabama. Yeah. So maybe you don't even want Zach Evans, as much as you do want him, you, you, you'd rather him be 100% or as close to it for Alabama. So that's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. But there's also a real danger here, Shane, of, of Old Miss. Their season kind of going off the rails here and then losing to a, a very talented A&M team that if they put all the pieces together, certainly can beat Old Miss at home. But uh, th there's pressure, I think, on Ole Miss to – to win this game, to keep their dream season alive, don't you think? Uh, yeah, and I and I will tell you. Expect. Let me pull something up here real quick, Mike. Let me just so I don't say something stupid. Which is, we're probably too late for that. But mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, Ole Miss. And when I think of Lane Kiffin, man, I I, th I think of a very prideful coach. Not not happy with results in LSU. I think I. I, I I think he, he makes this a statement game, brother. Here you're hearing all this bad news. I, I don't know what the over-under is. I don't know if it's moved around or anything like that. But, you know, I may just, after we get done here, put put a whole bunch of money on them old Miss Rebels because <laughs> I just – I feel like you've got one team that's imploding. And you got another one that's, that's looking for revenge, a, a bounce-back game. So, you know, I don't know. If Evans is 80%, Lane Kiffin's rolling them out there, man. You can't afford not to have them because this is how you get your boys back on track. It's you can't. Lane's not thinking of Alabama. He's thinking about Texas A&M and, and probably upset they didn't offer him the job when they when they hired Jimbo. So this is just again. I has what's the point? Is the point spread on here? Wait, I got it pulled up. Here. I think it's Ole Miss minus four. Okay. Well, I got two and a half here. Okay. Shit, Mike. Mike, I'm rolling. I'm putting. I'm. I'm putting the mortgage on it. Don't tell my wife, <laughs> but I'm putting the mortgage payment on this one. This is my lock, my wager. Have you ever got a wager this early, Mike? No. I'm feeling it, brother. <laughs> is am I crazy or or is this one of those games? Let me ask you. Is this? Do you feel like this is one of those games that you can just kind of throw all the noise out? 
Do you, do you feel that? Because because the more I'm talking about the, the less. No, I don't. I don't think it. so. I don't think you could because it's because it's a. I mean, we're a step away from all the dumpster fire yeah. tweets. You know what I mean? Yeah. And And it's just one bad thing after another with these suspensions, with the with the losing, with not knowing who your quarterback's going to be. We've seen a And M without Bryce Foster at center. It's a disaster on that offensive yeah. line. He's out for the year. So yeah, I mean, this is a game legitimately, Shane. And I'm not even trolling. I could see Ole Miss winning by like 35 points. Like yeah. I truly could see that. But at the and same he will, time, he will not stop. Lane will not stop. He will keep the foot on the gas. So right. That's that's the thing. But the problem is Ole Miss defense is starting to crumble. Yeah. I mean, this this is several weeks in a row they've been going in the wrong direction. Now Texas ain't him. They struggle at a score. So I don't. I don't even know how many points they could put up, but mm-hmm. it's hard for me to see Ole Miss not giving up, I don't know, 20 points. So as long as they yeah. can score 28 to 30 points, they should win this ball game. Yeah, I'm with you. Lane, you guys responded really well last season after losses. I think it was three in a row after the first one, four in a row after the second one. Is there something kind of to be said about resetting and recalibrating after a loss? Uh, yeah, I think when <clears throat> I've said it, when you play, you know, really talented players and programs, you know, they will expose certain areas. And it's why, you know, when you play one of them super early or open with them, you know, you learn more about issues that you have. And sometimes they can be hidden until you go play, you know, one of, like I said last week, one like a program like the next three, you know, and I mean, they make recruiting rankings for a reason, you know, and obviously those have a lot to do with winning and and draft picks and so when you play really good players you know you've got to do things really well or you can't get away with some things you can versus some of the personnel we played early in the year told us saturday you had a high level of concern with the defense after their performance and you kind of sensed it after the way they struggled against auburn after watching two weeks of tape what are you kind of seeing defensively is it a personnel schematic i mean what do you feel like needs to kind of be adjusted there well, we've got to tackle better. Um, you know, certainly hasn't helped Cedric not being available at all two weeks ago and being very limited. And he tried to play, but wasn't himself. Um, and then when Troy, you know, in both games, you know, having to come out to due to injuries, those are, you know, two really significant players. So, but we've got to tackle better and limit explosive plays, um, which is what we had done really well early, early in the year. And. You know, we showed them some film today just to make sure, like, hey, here's here's some out from two weeks ago, you know, and how well in three weeks ago, Kentucky game, and, and how well that we played and the energy that we played with and gang tackling. So it's not like we got to come up with it out of nowhere. We've done it. Now, final matchup here, Shane. Missouri going on the road at South Carolina. Missouri finally got a win in conference play. They got off the schneid there after – Three consecutive one-score losses, just heartbreaking defeat after heartbreaking <laughs> defeat. Do you think they get confidence from beating Vanderbilt? Or I mean, it, that was just so ugly in the second half. Now they're facing a, a South Carolina that's red hot, one four in a row. Are they going into a buzzsaw here? Or do you think it's an opportunity for Missouri to, to pull a stunning upset? Because they, they've been known to do that under drink. Uh, I, I think this is momentum, and and if you're looking at a game momentum, I, I'm I'm South Carolina right now because yeah. 
I mean, they're top 25. Think about that, brother. We're, we're going into November and the Gamecocks are a top 25 program. Yeah. How can you not be on cloud nine right now? This team is fired up. You saw it. Uh, you, you keep seeing it every single week. They just find ways. Now, it's not always pretty, but they're finding ways to win games. Um, and, and Missouri, don't get me wrong. Missouri ha- is like a roller coaster a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I, I still, I, I think this is one of the most underrated defenses in the country. Right. And, and I expect them to, to come full force this week, but what are we, which cook shows up, which cook is in the kitchen. Is that a thing? So I, they should make that because which cook shows up. That, to do that's this his new thing? NIL. Is it? <laughs> that's what I've got to see, man, is, is who's, who's, who's running the show on that side of the ball. Yeah. Are we getting, you know, two minute offense right before the half cook? Are we getting, you know, another interception in a, in a, in a blown read cook? So, mm-hmm. um, it's, this is a good, this is going to be a, a hell of a matchup and, and it's just, it's like strength versus strength. What one team's good at the other one's good at defending. So, right. uh, and it is a trophy. I found out. Um, and of course I don't know if they were lying to me, but I think they called it the governor's cup or something. Is that true? I think so. Yeah. Because it's oh, okay. the Columbia's, you know, it's, they're going head to head here, but it is pretty fascinating, Shane. I mean, I think a lot of people that don't follow these two that closely, they, when the line came out, I, I don't know if it's moved. I don't know if you got that information right in front of you, but Gamecocks favored, at opening only by four points at home over Missouri. And I think, you know, yeah, it's that, still four right now. That's not always, obviously it's not a, it's not a prediction of the score. We all know that, but it is interesting, Shane, because I think you would think a lot of people would be betting South Carolina with the four, but this is a sneaky, sneaky ball game. My friend in Missouri, they won it last year, and I, I have to believe with Marcus Satterfield calling the plays, I, I like Missouri when they're on defense a hell of a lot more than I like South Carolina on offense right now. Mike, this is the poor man's game of the week. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. This is like – I don't get me wrong. We, we've got some great football coming on, but I, I think when we're at the end of the night and, and we're, we're recapping these shows – we're watching this one extra hard because we couldn't believe how how close it actually was. So this one could go either way. I am this is this is more Morristown Honda. I'll tell you right now. <laughs> <laughs> I already the the more we talk about this game, the least confident I get on each, either side. Yeah, and this may be one shade where Missouri you gotta get it if you want to go to a bowl game. Mm-hmm. And for South Carolina, if you want to keep those dreams alive of going to to like a new year's day bowl. You got to get this one. So there's a lot on the line for both these coaches, both these teams really, you know what? Yeah. Oh yeah. So which, let me ask you this because uh, just talking pressure, it, who's, who's got the most pressure coming in this game? I mean, you, you finally got South Carolina top 25, four in a row. It right. feels like uh, losing to Missouri would be a huge stab in the heart. Yeah. It would be just a just just a total heartbreaker and letdown, especially with some of the tougher games they got around the corner. Right. But then on the flip flip side of the coin, you got you got Eli that you know just got a SEC game victory, you know. But again, almost squandered there at the end. Not that it was his fault, but it's it's just it's it just feels like that's kind of been their 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 theme, you know, Hey, we were close, but we, we just, at the end, we let go up, you know? Right. And so which, which team, which coach has more pressure coming into this game in your opinion? 
I think it's clearly Shane Beamer in company. Yeah. Because of what okay. you said there with, with getting the momentum, getting the ranking, another home game. You know, these are the games you, you expect to win. Mm-hmm. But, hell, you didn't win it last year. And I, I think Missouri clearly better on the defensive side of the ball. If things are clicking, they're better on offense. We just – we just haven't seen that because of the offensive yeah. line struggles, because of the inconsistency at quarterback. And who knows, Shane, this may be a game where you break out Sam Horn yeah. af- after we saw Brady Cook struggle. And, and that is something Drake, he would not give up. Who's number two? Well, you're mm-hmm. going to have to wait to find out. So, <laughs> you know, that there's a little intrigue there as well. Um, this could be certainly a Missouri coming out party. And, again, look, just look yeah. at that point spread. It, Vegas is letting you know this is going to be a, a very hot contested game, and the, them Gamecocks better not be looking ahead because everybody and their mother that that hates the Gamecocks, Shane, they're saying, well, hell, they're only five and two because of this ridiculous easy schedule. This is, uh, you know, they've got to prove those people wrong here on Saturday. You know what, Shane? I know you've been part of a lot of teams that have been ranked a lot as an assistant does this feel any different at all because it's your first time as a head coach yes um I'd love to again I'd love to give you the cool coach speak and tell you they're all the same but no when you're the head coach and and um and you're ranked it's certainly something we're proud of but not satisfied with but I look at it more as it's just the next the next step and and credit credit the players and the people in this program to be, you know, two years ago at this time, a two-win team that being ranked in the top 25 was the furthest thing from anybody's mind to now less than two years later uh, to be ranked in the top 25 to me is just a a, a sign that and, and another statement that we're headed in, in the right direction and a credit to the people in this program and, and how they've worked to get to this point as well. Um, so, you know, happy with where we are. But again, we've got a lot of football left this season and a lot of work to do. And, and um, um, you know, we're, we're nowhere near satisfied and, and we shouldn't be. Question along the uh, ranking storyline. Um, first time as a head coach going into a game week with a nationally ranked team, what is the more important message uh, is it a cautionary tale of what happened, let's just say, the last time the Gamecocks were ranked didn't last very long, or what it will take to stay ranked and to climb up in the polls? Um, what it would take to stay and continue to get to continue to climb, which means we're getting better as a football team. I mean, that wasn't our, that wasn't our message uh, this morning, was nothing about staying ranked and, and not falling out of the polls. It was more... Uh, what do we have to do to continue to uh, get better as a as a football team? And starting this week against a team that certainly none of us were proud of that. Uh, enjoy, no, no, none of us were enjoyed that day in Columbia, Missouri, last year, and uh, that was a long bus ride back to St. Louis that night after the game because we couldn't fly out of Columbia after the game. Uh, so you know that game doesn't really have anything to do with this year's game, but we've got plenty of motivation to get better as a team and, and just continue to improve. And we were talking about that, Rick, after we lost to Georgia and we were one and two. It was improve as a team and how much better can we get as this season goes on. It was the same thing after Kentucky and it's the same thing right now. We, we've got a, we've had two really big wins in a row, four straight, but we've got a lot of work to do and a lot to get better 
at, and, and that's our focus right now and nothing else. <laughs> hey, Shane, how would hey. you say the atmosphere at williams Bryce compares to any other place that you've played or coached at? I would say it's right at the top. I took all kinds of, um, uh, what's the word, stuff. When I said, posted something on social media yesterday or about what I said after the game to Cole Kubelik on the field after the game, but, I mean, it's true. That atmosphere Saturday night was unbelievable. I mean, Texas A&M, was it eight false starts? Seven, eight? I mean, think about it, guys. Like, eight false starts that single-handedly were because of the crowd noise. It's unbelievable. And uh, they were – it's not unbelievable knowing our fans. It's uh, it's right at the top. And I've been – trust me, I'm blessed. I've been around some – uh, to be able to, to be in some great environments as a GA at Tennessee or coaching here before, or coaching at Virginia Tech or out in Oklahoma or, or at Georgia. I mean, those are all great atmospheres and environments. Uh, uh, Mississippi State and, and Georgia Tech, you know, certain games. But Saturday night in, in that stadium, uh, our fans were a true, true weapon for us. And, and I said at the beginning of the season, it was already great, but what, with what – our administration's done over there with the lights and the sound system and everything else. It's better than it's ever been, and, and that showed Saturday night in the stadium. You're corrected. You mentioned that on Saturday that some of the hits Brady has taken. If you were to get in a situation where you know he has to miss a play or whatever, who's who's your next guy up at this point? Yeah, it, it all depends on the timing and the situation of the the game. Um, you know. We're actively working all of our quarterbacks in practice to see who can develop, and, and depending on the situation of the game, what the injury would be, uh, it would determine who would be the next quarterback in. So, in long and short, I'm not going to tell you. <clears throat> and, and rush the passer. Luther Burden obviously brought a ton of skill. But have you seen him get better in the areas you've seen him really apply himself and improve? Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing for Luther. Um, is one understanding that that football and life is a process and you're going to have to learn to eliminate the outside noise and clutter and expectations of people and focus on what you can control and i think that has become a process for him of hey i i can't worry about the expectations and the outside noise and all the things that are uh, all the the pressure to perform for others i've got to continue to work on myself um, and then I think the second, and this is really, really important, was the ability to get healthy so that he could really play back to his full potential. You know, in college football, when you get nicked up and you're at 80% or 75% playing against great players, you don't look the same. You're just not the same. And so that bye week, you know, he didn't even practice Sunday last week because we were still like, eh. I mean, he was questionable all the way to Wednesday, um, just getting full speed. And I, I would still say he's probably at about 90%. Um, but I think once he was able to get to that 90% and practice, again, again, recreate the process because we're not good enough. Uh, nobody's, until you get to the NFL, are you ever going to be good enough to just show up and play? And that's really what we were having to do um, on that three-game stretch uh, after Auburn. I mean, we were having to barely get any practice Tuesday, barely get practice Wednesday, and then trying to show up and affect the game in a manner that everybody's putting pressure you to do that. It's not realistic. And so I think him embracing that understanding, being able to practice last week has, uh, has led to the results. Um, you know, I saw a stat yesterday where he's one of 
you know, a couple of players that have had multiple rushing, multiple passing, and, and a punt return for a touchdown. And I think he might be the only one in college football. Yeah. So, you know, all that other outside noise, you know, I don't know. Oh, it's going to be good. Did you see that video we put out earlier? Uh, they were doing the sandstorm, and apparently it was like from a helicopter or a drone or something uh, like that. Yeah. But that that place was just electric, man. That front, I've, it's just it was like a club. You're out, and you know, you ever drive by, and they're just it's just banging, and the lights are going everywhere, and you're like, man, they're really having a good time in there. That's that's what it felt like when I saw that video. That place is going to be rocking. Another night game, which uh, I mean, I'm getting a lot of. I, I don't know if you've noticed this, Mike. A lot of Georgia fans are pissed off. Mm-hmm. They're not getting any night games. They're like, we have lots. We have a, we could be fun, you know, but but everybody's like, yeah, but you're just going to steamroll everybody, so we're just going to put you on at noon. <laughs> yeah, I did see something, Shane. I think it's the the first time since like '96 Nebraska that defending national champion has not had a night game. That's uh, crazy. A, until now with Georgia, which. Yeah, I, technically, yeah, and it's not even at home, you know. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, that's what I'm saying. A home night. That's, yeah. I'm sorry. That's what I was talking about. So oh. A home night game for the for the home fans. I hate it because night games are awesome. They really are, and it can be against bad teams. But playing something about that seven o'clock, it's just fun. You can you can you enjoy your day on Saturday. Go yep. down there, tailgate a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Noons suck. Noons are terrible, and I, I hate it. And it's and it's and it's kind of funny because you just played yourself out. You know, you 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 literally played yourself by just being <laughs> too damn good. And if you just if you sucked a little bit more, we probably would have had a seven o'clock flex. But uh, but that. Again, Georgia, we we haven't talked about you so long, so we're going to try and make the show about you guys. So, yep. Well, hey, buddy, I I think that's a great place to uh, end this one. Unless you got anything else before we hop off the line. No, um, uh, no, I think we nailed it, brother. Um, no, probably is the worst show I've ever done. Now that I think about it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you got a lot of extra editing to do tonight. It's that damn so. El Torito, you're trying that's to get them my, as a sponsor. It's that Modelo, man, I'm telling you, because you get in the moment. You know, you're chips and saucing it up, and then you're drinking a cold beer, and then you're you're still thirsty, and next thing you know, you're about three or four of those boys in, and and man, it just it hit me tonight. So, uh, but anyway, no, I've had an absolute great time with you, Mike. Uh, looking forward to this weekend. It's just it, the more we talk about it, these games, they got so many storylines coming into it, and. Yeah. And, and I think that's what's unique is, I mean, think about it. You got Texas A&M and Ole Miss. Ole Miss rebound, Lane Kiffin upset. You got Texas A&M just burning, man. Just, I mean, people are jumping off the ship. Fans don't even want to go there anymore. I'm just kidding. That place is still going to be packed. Uh, they got good fans. But then then you got the Columbia, the Governor's Cup. That game is so tight. Vegas, it's almost a pick them now. Yeah. Tennessee, Kentucky, or we're talking trap game. I mean, it's just – we go around the Florida and in the Florida Georgia. It's just one of the biggest rivalries ever. So uh, I, I just absolutely love it. Looking forward to it. I'm probably let the team off, and I'm sorry. I still love you guys, but uh, I better get off here for. Uh, There's probably Mike. Georgia and Florida fans already out there now in Jacksonville tailgating. You know what? <laughs> absolutely, man. <laughs> this is the week, man. Don't forget 
throw the record books out. If you look at their Winsipedia, man, not one team has won more than three games in a row. And, and so I think, uh, obviously, Georgia got them last year, but did you get the best Florida? And, and if you're going to get the best game, like if Billy Napier and company are going to pull together, because we polled the audience at the start of the season, who's your real rivalry? Mm-hmm. Florida hates Georgia the most. Yep. And I thought it would be Tennessee. No, it's the Gators <laughs> and the and the Bulldogs. Those These guys absolutely hate each other. It's bragging rights all year long. So who knows, man? We may walk away with emergency podcasts this thing yeah no doubt well brother i appreciate you as always appreciate each and every one of you for hanging out we'll catch you on the next one all right see you guys go vols i ordered that i could see myself eating that and then at the end of course i'm knocking it out uh here's a reference we went to um um pancake pantry once and she loves strawberry parisian pancakes so it's like a it's like a blintz um so it's got a, 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 a like a rolled almost like a burrito looking uh uh pancake and in, in or crepe and inside it has like strawberry mix and with a cream cheese kind of mixture and it's fantastic powdered sugar sprinkled on and they make this uh this butter this fluffy butter that comes with it so I know she can't eat all three of those. So I don't order that. I ordered what I want, and I come around and get one of those on the back end. <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of pe- it, it, it's not easy being fat. A lot of people think you just naturally do it by eating all the time. No, it takes a lot of work and effort. So uh, I've kind of, I've kind of maximized gaining weight over here. So. But anyway, 